Um, but for now, please join me in welcoming Hyatt. You can clap for him. Good morning, St. Peter's. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Now, I just want us to take a moment and think about the airline industry. They love dividing us up into classes, first class, business class, coach. And if that wasn't enough, they've created even more. Did you now know that there's a basic class? It's below coach. And I can tell you because I've been there. <laughs> and it comes with almost absolutely nothing. We're very lucky to have seatbelts. <laughs> I mean, come on, calling an entire class of people basic? What an injustice. All kidding aside, our world is beset by grave injustices, economic, political, and social. And it appears that the prevalence of injustices only seems to be mounting. Now, for me, and maybe for you, that's why it's so frustrating. At times, perhaps most of the time, the scoreboard between justice on the one hand and injustice on the other seems to overwhelmingly favor injustice. This raises lots of questions for me, but most salient is the question, where is God in the midst of injustice? At its core, this question is a question of theodicy. And simply stated, a theodicy is a subset of the problem of evil. How could a loving, good, all-powerful God coexist with a world in which evil often prevails? Now, over centuries, theologians, skeptics, and lay people alike have all offered their own perspectives on this question. And while I wish, and I mean, I really wish that we could dive headfirst into this rich intellectual history, I'll save you the pain, I know full well the Episcopal Church's 11th commandment, thou shall not preach longer than 15 minutes. <laughs> and I will do my best to honor that today. But fortunately for us, the story of Amos, part of which we read today, illustrates three core principles of how God operates in a world of injustice. God, one, speaks to an unjust world. God calls out unjust systems, and God anoints ordinary people to fulfill his vision of justice. Before exploring those principles, we must first understand just a little bit more about the world in which Amos inhabited. Amos lived in a world marked by injustice. Elsewhere in Amos, we learn just how pervasive injustice is in the world Amos lives in. You see, before our story picks up today, Amos, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has been on a whistle-stop tour around Israel. Since being called from the pastures in Judah, Amos has been preaching nonstop, giving blistering accounts of nations, most of whom are Israel's neighbors, wallowing in sin, turpitude, and wickedness. Indictments against these nations detail grievous offenses, uninhibited greed, diabolical war practices, unconscionable immigration processes, 
and systemic state-sponsored violence directed at the most vulnerable members of their society, just to name a few of them. And what of Israel? How had God's very own nation chosen to be the vessel to reveal God's glory compared to her neighbors? She too found herself mired in wickedness. This wasn't a new development for Israel. Embroiled in a long running civil war, Israel had splintered into two morally defunct halves, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And both Judah and Israel eventually fell prey to idolatry. Poisoned by wayward ideology, spiritual rot flourished. Both Israel and Judah erected shrines, adopted repugnant worship practices like child sacrifices, and celebrated by and large morally bankrupt kings. Just to give you a flavor of how corrupt the leadership was in Israel and Judah at the time, let's think about the ruling king in Israel's namesake, Jeroboam I, the very first king of Israel. Now, Jeroboam's name might not ring any bells, but Jeroboam set the watermark for evil kings in Israel. And although he was originally tasked by God to reform Israel, Jeroboam I had abandoned God's call and embraced idolatry instead setting up a plague of idolatry that would haunt Israel for generations afterwards. Now, when scripture compares righteous and unrighteous kings, the righteous kings are compared to King David, and the unrighteous kings, well, they were described as walking in the way of Jeroboam. You get the point. Jeroboam was a bad dude. So it is within this world, one marred by darkness and deceit, and one ruled by tyrannical rulers, that we meet the prophet Amos. Before preaching, Amos had just been a country farmer. He raised cattle, he pruned trees, but when he was called by God to preach, Amos obeyed. Amos journeyed north to Israel, where, as I said before, he had been giving these blistering accounts of God's judgment on Israel's neighbors, accounts that zeroed in on the wickedness and evil of those societies. After addressing God's Israel's neighbors, God turns his attention to his beloved Israel. At the point we enter Amos' story today, Amos has just dropped a bombshell on an Israelite priest called Amaziah. Amos says God gave him a vision, a vision in which God has hung a plumb line in the midst of his people, and he promises not to pass them over any longer. According to one translation, God emphatically states that I've spared them for the last time. This is it. Isaac's sex and religion shrines will be smashed. Israel's unholy shrines will be knocked into pieces. I'm raising my sword against the royal family of Jeroboam. God's movement here and throughout Amos' story is critical. In it, we learn three principles of how God addresses injustice. Now, principle number one, God speaks to an unjust world. No less than 16 times in the compact book of Amos, a book that is only nine chapters, does the phrase appear, quote, this is what the Lord says, end quote. There in the midst of all the anguish, wickedness, and evil is a God who refuses to be silent. God is speaking to Amos and through Amos to the entire world. He speaks to the secularists and the sacred, the well-off and the downtrodden. Isn't this amazing that in the face of injustice, God is speaking? Now, 
that God is speaking can seem a bit counterintuitive. It is easy to assume that God has nothing to say in times of hardship, particularly if you find yourself bearing the brunt of injustice. It is in these desperate and difficult times our circumstances can lead us to believe that God is either uninterested or unbothered by the calamities and crises in our own world. Otherwise, our circumstances would be different. They would be better. And this can lead to doubts about the very character of God, his righteousness, his desire for justice, his love for us. But in Amos, we see that God has plenty to say on the world's crooked systems and conventions. God acknowledges the pitiful state of affairs in the world. He knows justice is in shambles. In Amos chapter 5, verse 7, the Lord laments that they have turned justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. Still, despite humanity's wickedness, God has not turned his back on humanity. Praise God. He is not silent in the face of injustice. He is calling it out. He is shining his light on it. This leads me to principle number two. God calls out unjust systems, including nations and institutions that perpetuate injustice. Front and center in the book of Amos are the recriminations, the injustices of Israel and its neighbors. Condemned in God's judgments spoken through Amos are systems and norms relied on by those nations. Their economic systems that exploited the poor. Their political systems that normalize corruption. Their cultural values that prioritize materiality and social conventions that dehumanize people. Recounting Israel's systems and institutions, one translation puts it this way. Israel buys and sells upstanding people. People for them are only things, ways of making money. They sell a poor man for a pair of shoes. They sell their own grandmother. They grind the penniless into the dirt. They shove the luckless into the ditch. They extort the poor. And then, then they sit around drinking wine. They've come from their victims. Conceptually, this focus on corporate or national injustice from a theological footing may seem foreign to some. Culturally, within the Western world and within the offshoots of the Protestant tradition, we tend to emphasize the role of the individual, and that emphasis informs our theology. Oriented to focus on the me rather than the we, many of us who find ourselves within this tradition narrow our spiritual conceptions to map on to an individualistic mold. From the language we use to describe our spiritual life, my quiet time, to the hymns we sing, I am a friend of God, to the questions we tend to ask, will I go to heaven? And of course, none of this is wrong. None of this is wrong. I want to be very clear. None of this is wrong. All I want to suggest is that because in a sense, we are primed to view and understand things from an individual perspective, including our theology, we might likewise see and understand God's justice through a similar lens. That's not wrong, but it's neither fully comprehensive either. God's vision for justice is much broader than restoring justice between individuals. He has a vision of justice that holds nations, all nations to account for their customs, their systems, their institutions, and their leaders. This collective Vision of justice matters to God, 
and it should matter to us too. The third principle, God anoints ordinary people to fulfill his vision of justice. God entrusted Amos with declaring his word. This would be a tall order for anyone, but a quick review of Amos's background shows that there were serious challenges uniquely confronting him. First, Amos wasn't even from Israel. He was from the sleepy village of Tekoa in Judah. Remember, Israel and Judah are at each other's throats right now. Almost anyone from anywhere else would have been a better messenger at getting the Israelites to listen. Second, Amos was not a man of the cloth, but the country. He raised cattle and pruned trees, remember? He had no formal schooling in scriptures. And finally, Amos was not even a member of the priestly class of Levites. Amos wasn't many things, but he was a man of conviction. He knew intimately that God desired justice in a world of injustice. He knew that God would be faithful. Amos knew that where he lacked the credentials or experience, God would stand in the gap. With those beliefs, he heeded God's call. He left everything he knew and anyone he knew to journey north. Arriving in his destination, he found himself in hostile territory. He preached nonetheless. He boldly proclaimed the word of God. And what did his efforts earn him? Praise? No. Thanks? No. What did Amos earn? He was branded an enemy of the state. He was threatened with banishment, but Amos was undeterred. He continued preaching, preaching God's message of justice, of hope, of peace. And because of his obedience, an entire nation, an entire world was transformed. Those systems of oppression and institutions of exploitation came crumbling down, just as Amos prophesied. Justice was restored. Righteousness was once again remembered in the land. Hope began to ferment all of this because God used an unconventional messenger who had a willing and obedient heart. So where does that leave us? Those of us who must confront the injustices in our world today. Well, remember the three principles. First, remember God is speaking. You may find yourself discouraged because it seems like God is on mute in the face of all of the world's unrighteousness. But as we see in Amos, God is speaking. He's calling out injustice. And as he speaks, he's offering us an invitation today to listen. What is he saying to you? What might be he saying to our church? Second, remember God calls out unjust systems. You may be despairing because the magnitude of the injustices in our world seem far too large. They are embedded into the fabric of society. They seem immovable. They have continued for generations. And all of this may lead you to conclude that God has turned a blind eye. He hasn't. God cares about remedying injustice in all of its manifestations. So what injustices perpetrated by our nation might God be calling you to remedy? Finally, remember God anoints ordinary people to fill his vision of justice. You might doubt how God can use you at all. You may think you cannot be used because you are not up to the task. You're too old, you're too young, you don't have the pedigree, you're from the wrong neighborhood, you lack the credentials. Well, 
there's an invitation waiting on you to trust in God's calling for your life. With God's backing, you are perfectly suited. So I ask again, where is God in the midst of injustice? God is with us. Amen.